I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Barney Jobson. This week we're looking at dramatic developments in Turkey where the election board has just cancelled the results of a mayoral election in Istanbul, Turkey's biggest city that was won by an opposition candidate. It's a move that has raised fears about growing authoritarianism under President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Here to discuss this with me is Ayla Jean Yakli, a foreign correspondent in Istanbul, and in the studio Daniel Dombey, the FT's former Turkey correspondent. Ayla, going to you first, just fill us in on exactly what's happened in the last few days and why this is so significant. On Monday, the High Election Board, which is the ultimate authority on elections in Turkey, ruled that there had been enough irregularities that would merit the mayoral election that was held on March 31st be cancelled and rerun. That election was won by Ekrem Imamoğlu, a member of the opposition Republican People's Party, in what was a surprise and very narrow win. He won by about 13,000 votes in a city with more than 10 million voters. And since that election, he has had to grapple with a series of recounts, and yet his slim lead wasn't eroded. However, in the end, the election board, facing calls by the ruling party, as well as the president himself, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, agreed that there were enough questions surrounding the vote that it needed to be rerun. And Istanbul, of course, is an immensely important political prize. It's Turkey's biggest city. Control of Istanbul comes with control of a considerable budget. It's hugely important to President Erdogan. It's the place where, in some ways, he began his political career by being elected mayor himself. Tell us, Ayla, what happens now? The vote is planned for June 23rd. What's going to happen between now and then? Imamoglu has said that he will run. There were questions about whether he would boycott it out of protest over what he has called a betrayal in cancelling the result. But he is going to run and he's going to face the same opponent, a man named Bin Ali Yildirim, a former Turkish prime minister and a seemingly formidable politician in his own right, although he does seem to be somewhat more reluctant. He has not been at the forefront in this debate over the disputed result, but he is going to run again. And the CHP, Imam Olu's party, has petitioned the High Election Board now to cancel the results of district mayoralships, which were also part of the election on March 31st, arguing that you can't just cancel one ballot, you need to cancel it all if you're going to do this. But it's unlikely that the High Election Board will agree to that. And it's important to note that the ruling party, the AKP, did win a majority of those seats, so smaller district-level mayorships. Dan, turning to you, President Erdogan has been in power since 2003, and many would say his reign has been marked by a gradual slide towards authoritarianism. Please help us to just put these events in Istanbul in the context of his broader history as Turkish leader. 
Well, Turkey has never been an untroubled democracy. It's a country that has had to deal with many coups in its past. Indeed, the most recent was a sort of soft coup in 1997 against an Islamist forerunner of the party that Mr Erdogan leads. And Mr Erdogan himself has always said that actually real democracy has been something that is better than the 1990s and that's something that's been pioneered by his government, which has been free from the kind of military influence and some of the human rights violations of those 1990s. And yet, on the other hand, his time in office has seen ever greater personal power, ever greater power of the AKP, a series of elections which people have said were not fair, even if they were free, just because of the massive use of state resources. So it's a story in which, on the one hand, more and more people across Turkish society have felt enfranchised. On the other hand, greater power concentrated in the hands of Mr Erdogan. To many people's eyes, the turning point came maybe eight, nine years ago, as Mr Erdogan became much, much more powerful and the army seemed no longer such a threat as before. And elections no longer seemed fair. But he himself always said, whenever being told that he was too authoritarian, the answer is in the ballot box. I was elected. If you have protests, the place to take them is a ballot box. He's invested almost mystical importance in the ballot box. So the question has always been, are those elections free? We know that parties weren't at an equal footing, but were the elections free? And to be absolutely honest, in many parts of Turkey, in the southeast and so on, where there have been huge problems with the Kurdish issue, we weren't clear of the answer. But Istanbul is the election of all elections. And if this election does turn out to be overturned for reasons that don't really bear daylight, then the question has to be, is Turkey still a democracy? And the answer now, in many people's eyes, is less affirmative than it was. This election, in that sense, may have been a turning point in a story that perhaps began with greater democratisation and perhaps now it's heading towards not really a democracy. So given the decision to annul this election, given that history of what you might describe as anti-democratic practices by President Erdogan, tell us, Dan, how do his supporters feel about these things? Do they find ways to excuse them or diminish them? Or what are their views on this? One of the things about Turkey is that just about everyone you meet in Turkey has a conspiracy theory. Someone is behind something. Something doesn't happen by accident. It's all part of a plot. It's a part of a superior intelligence. You hear these things quite often. The terrifying thing is that sometimes some of these conspiracy theories turn out to be true. So there is a narrative that Mr Erdogan supporters have that this was part of a conspiracy. And in fact, one of the real turning points that actually I think made the High Election Board's decision inevitable is that the legal authorities launched criminal investigations into the elections. And that, I think, itself made this certain. However, the question always is, who is mounting the conspiracy? Mr Erdogan supporters feel that there was some kind of plot that cheated them of what was almost their birthright, Istanbul. But Mr Erdogan's foes say, we know that Istanbul is the money-making machine of Turkey. Istanbul is the political prize of Turkey. Istanbul is a place where the bodies are buried in terms of deals the AKP may have done with the property and construction sector that is so important in Turkey. So their argument is... This was an election that Erdogan could not afford to lose, even if he did lose it. It's not for me now to say which of those conspiracy theories is true. But clearly, this is an election that is more than just a mere mayoral election. This is an election that cuts to the realities of power in Turkey. 
Mr. Erdogan was very aware when he was denouncing this result that a revote could have consequences. A revote would not necessarily be greeted well by the financial markets nor by Turkey's allies. And yet, so important is Istanbul that that was a risk he felt he had no other choice but to take. Let's talk a little bit about the perspective of business and foreign investors on some of these issues. Now, it's a cliche that investors dislike political uncertainty and volatility. There are certainly other cases in the world where a strong, steady autocrat has been viewed favourably by investors. But tell us a little bit how business people and investors have viewed Erdogan and the Erdogan years amid this drift towards authoritarianism, Dan. Well, if one looked at the longer term, I remember going to Turkey in 2004, I believe, just before the EU took the decision to begin EU membership talks with Turkey. And we saw Mr Erdogan then. And at that point, the big story about Turkey was that there had been no foreign investment. Foreign investment hadn't come. After the beginning of those EU talks in 2004-2005, foreign investment did come, a lot of it. And then after the capital investment, after the fixed investment, we saw an awful lot of speculative investment, hot money seeking returns. In many people's eyes, what opened the way to investment in Turkey was the country's European aspirations and a series of rules, devolution, clear rules, clear regimes and a competition authority, other authorities, a fiscal rule and so on, that created a more predictable set of rules than had existed in the past, particularly in the turbulent 1990s. Now, the question is, at what point does the politics interfere with the economics? At what point does a more autocratic, personalised, capricious pursuit of power start unnerving investors? One might argue that appointing one's son-in-law finance minister is a complicating factor in all of this. One can certainly point to the weakness of Alira this year and last as a warning signal, not least because Turkey, not the central government, but many, many corporations have very, very big liabilities in foreign currency denominated debt. So this is a country that does need to reassure foreign investors for that reason and uncertainty of this kind very definitely doesn't do that job. Isla, why don't you bring us up to speed by telling us a little bit about how markets and investors have received developments in the last few days? They certainly didn't welcome it, and they punished the Turkish lira in the aftermath of the decision. It lost around 2% of its value against the dollar as soon as the news came out. I think some may have factored in that this was a distinct likelihood, as they well should have, because the president did say over the weekend that he thought that the election should be rerun. So I think now there might be a bit of a wait-and-see period of sorts in which the markets certainly don't rally during this campaign, but at least there's this expectation that there might be the possibility that the June 23rd election is held free and fair. If there's a possibility that the opposition candidate wins again, maybe we can put this chapter behind us and move on. And Turkey will then finally return to its reform program. Ultimately, that's what investors want to see. They've been told we will get to the reforms that we know that we need to undertake. We just have to get through this next election cycle. But that's an endless cycle in Turkey. We have had election after election, nearly one every year for the past 10 years. And that includes referendums as well as general elections, presidential elections. And each one does 
require the government to loosen up on some of its discipline, be it on spending, be it on monetary policy. And I think that investors are hoping that this June 23rd election will be the last one. But that's what they were told a month ago. So let's just finally look forward to the rerun. Tell us what are the factors, Isla, that you think are going to shape the outcome of this second election? It's essential that the election be obviously as free and as fair as possible. But Imamola is going into this. It's an uphill battle despite winning in March. And that's partly because he faces a near blanket ban from the Turkish media, which refuses to cover his rallies and his speeches. And if it does, only for a minute or two. Whereas they give the ruling party, including the president, hours and hours of free television campaign time by broadcasting their speeches. There's questions about what strategy both sides will undertake. So far, the ruling party's candidate, Yildirim, has said that he is going to focus on trying to get out voters who effectively boycott the last election to express their disapproval of the government's handling of the economy. Perhaps a large number of those are, in fact, AKP voters, but wanted to send a message and figured, well, this is a mayoral election. I'm not voting for or against Erdogan, but this is a way of sending a message to Erdogan. And then there's concerns about the timing of the election. It's after universities are out. So students who are registered in Istanbul may have gone home and unable to vote. There's questions about whether the police and security services who are stationed here will be allowed to vote in that election. So it's very much about this very tiny margin that separates Yildirim and Imamolo, as I said, about 13,000. And both sides are going to be going after those voters on the edge. Great. Well, thank you very much. That's it for this week. My thanks to you, Isla Jean Yackley, and to Daniel Dombey here in the studio. Until next week, goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.